0: Amen. That was a bold prayer. I don't know if you listened to the words of that prayer, but that was a bold prayer.
1: <laughs>
0: Is Periscope not working? Oh, okay. I think it's user error. Um. But think about the words that she said in that prayer. Have you ever prayed those words where you asked God for a faith that was greater than some of the greatest people of faith that we see in the word of God? I, I wasn't going to start out this way, but it hit me as she was praying that that's what we've been talking about. That's exactly what we've been talking about. And that's that's what I did, and I know many of you have. That's what I did five years ago when I began praying for this level of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship with Him, knowing that clearly by what we see in the Word of God, there's more. There's more to a relationship with Him than just doing church. Just doing life. You know, there's a lot more. And so when, when I saw that he did these things in these people's lives in the Word of God, you either believe it or you don't. I, for one, believe it. And so when you believe it, when you believe it's possible, when you believe that it's already happened, then you also begin to believe that that can be me too. I have every right and every option to be able to ask God for the very same thing that they did. Why not? So that was a bold prayer. And, and I think one thing at Ignition that we've, I don't want to say gotten used to, but we have stepped out and, and trusted is in these bold prayers. Uh, By the way, the building's not going to hold millions of people. Maybe over time it'll hold millions of people. But if you don't know about this building that God has given us, he he led us in a supernatural way over a year and a half ago to this building. And and I've told this story before, I won't tell it now, but, but I can tell you that time and time and time again, with many, many different people, he has confirmed what he said about this building. Okay, this building is the result of a ridiculous prayer. (laughs) Because if you're familiar with this building, if you've ever been there, or if you've heard me tell you about it, it, it's bigger than any church building that I know. And I know some huge church buildings certainly in this area. You know, when your average church building might be 20,000 square feet, right? And Jeff would know this, 20-25,000 square feet, you know, where we used to go was huge. And it was 65,000 square feet or 62,000 square feet, whatever it was, it was enormous. More more than we will ever need, right? Well, see, the building God's giving us is 175,000 square feet. See, that's a bold answer. That's a bold answer to a bold prayer. A bold prayer of being instrumental in being used by God, not just to reach this area, but to reach the world. See, that's the heritage that ignition has begun with. It's believing God for extraordinary things. That's why so often I believe the Lord has us speak on faith and perspective, because it's so hard to get past our paradigms of perspective. And oftentimes our perspectives are so small and God needs to expand those perspectives first before He can begin to do the work through us. You ever wonder why we have stayed the same size that we are? You ever wonder that? I can tell you I have. For for two years now, you know, at the beginning I asked God, what, why aren't we in the building yet? You know, we're, we're maxed out here, obviously. We, we can't grow beyond this. So, Lord, why aren't we in the building yet? Why weren't we in the building a year ago? year and a half ago, whatever. I thought when we started this church, I thought for sure we'd be in a building within a couple of months. But see, God chose to deal differently with us. Why? Because of our bold prayer. Because of what we asked. What we asked is extraordinary. What we asked is to be used fully and completely to his will, what he has written in our books. Well, see, he's put a group of people together that have some extraordinary books that requires extraordinary faith. Trusting in him to do what he wants. Letting him do what he he wants. So it takes time for him to change our paradigms. If you've known me for any length of time at all, you know I don't live in the now. That's probably the greatest frustration for my wife, is I don't live in the now. I I live usually at 30,000 feet and about 10 years down the line. See, so for me, I have been in the building I was in the building before we were ever a church. God God keeps me there. Why? Because He wants to expand our faith. He wants us to be able to see what He wants us to do, what He wants to literally do through us. So I just want to encourage you pray bold prayers. Don't be afraid of bold prayers. Don't be afraid of asking God for his perfect will and then knowing full well that when you let him do his will, it's going to be extraordinary. What limits God? People say, well, nothing limits God. That's not true. We limit him. There's only one person that can limit God in my life. That's me. There's only one person that can limit God in your life. That's you. How he changes that is to change our paradigm, change us to thinking that he can do anything through us, because it's not us that do it, that does it. It's not us that's getting into this building. Thank you, Lord. Because we couldn't do it. It's not us that's going to go throughout the seven places in the world that he wants us to build bases and begin ministry and expand. If that was up to us, we'd be in trouble. We'd stay right here in Newark, build a light, nice little comfortable life, nice little comfortable church. Amen. See, that was an amen. That's an amen from him. See, we build this nice little comfortable life. But truly, is that what you want? I don't know about you. That's not what I want. Not that I don't want to be comfortable. I mean, please understand. I want, to be, I want, to, I want comfort, but realizing the real comfort is the joy of relationship with Jesus Christ. I want the joy that he promises in the fruit of the Spirit. And the only way I get that is by letting him do whatever he wants in my life. So pray extraordinary prayers. I want to encourage you to come Tuesday night. Tuesday night, we pray extraordinary prayers, don't we, Wendy? We go out of the box on Tuesday night. We we take God at his word. We ask for his will to be done. We, we know that we are players in a much larger field than what you see here. So on Tuesday night, we step out and we pray extraordinary prayers. And I hope you'll do that on your own as well. I wanted to mention this morning, before I get into uh, the message, that uh, this, this week was another milestone for us. You know... <clears throat> Most of you don't know uh, the inner workings of my brain, sorry, um, or, or what we do here in, in some ways. But, uh, but for, for the last two years, you know, we, we were two years as a church in December. For the last two years, we've had two elders, and that was me and Colin. Figured we had to have an old person, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> just kidding but yes an elder elder but uh, um, but we had been praying for God to expand that and and he he has promised us to do that ultimately we will we will have twelve twelve elders that that are invited by God not not by me or anybody else but that are invited by God and, and proven over time but we this last week we had Uh, a meeting, and we have officially uh, voted in, if you will, it was two to zero, (laughs) okay, Um, uh, the the newest elder, and and I just want to mention this because I am so thankful for God doing this, and it's Jeff, Jeff Sellers. He's way older than you might think. He's a young elder, how's that? But but Jeff met all the qualifications of elder as as it's laid out in the Word of God, and as important as that is, he was also laid on my heart for months about what God wants to do through him. So I I think he was a little bit surprised when when I finally got to the point where I asked him and and. Uh, um, And I know what God is going to do through him. By the way, just so you know, uh, we're a little bit different than perhaps most churches. Um, I want to explain this because I I think it's important to understand. Most churches are pastor-led or they're board-led or deacon-led, and, you know, it's, it's by... A a vote of the majority. I know I know. when I grew up, I grew up Baptist, and that was kind of a vote of the people. And, you know, you you have majority rules like you do in the United States, right? We're a little bit different. See, I don't see that in the Word of God. What I see in the Word of God is perfect unity, right? That's what I see in the Church of Acts. So I believe in an elder-run church an elder board that makes all the spiritual decisions and spiritual direction for the church. Okay, but that elder board is not a majority rules. Okay, and this is where we're different. See, I believe firmly that there has to be 100% unity. That's why if the vote to bring Jeff on was one-to-one, it wouldn't have happened. Okay? or any vote in the future about doing anything has to be 100% agreed on by those elders. That's why those elders are really important, that the most important thing they can do, the greatest qualification that they can have is that an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ to the Father being able to hear from the Holy Spirit is the most important thing in their life. Because, see, that's where we need to get our direction, from God. Not from a business program. <coughs> if, if we were operating on a business program, we, we could easily be ten times what we are now in a building. I, I've built businesses faster than this. Okay, but that's the last thing that I want. I don't want to build a business church. I don't want to build a church that's based on well, we know that percentage wise, if if we have this many people, we get this percentage that tithes and we get this much coming in, so we have a budget to do this. Let's go look for a building that we can have a budget to maintain. See, I've done business. I've built six businesses. That's not what God wants. God wants the extraordinary prayer of faith. And God wants us to just say, yes, whatever you want. You want to give us a building where the taxes every year are greater than our tithe base right now? Okay. That's okay. I trust you. You want us to buy this building for $10 million? Okay because you got the checkbook god and you've got the people already in mind to lead you know he promised that he promised that he would bring people to us to help lead what he is building so see when you pray extraordinary prayers and you have extraordinary faith you don't have to worry about the details when they're in front of you. I'm not saying that you don't have to perform the details. Okay, you can't all live in La La Land like me. That's where I live. I'm allowed to live there. It's, it's where I dwell. <laughs> okay. We can't all be there. We have to deal with details. But see, you don't have to worry about the details. You don't have to worry about what God has already placed you to do because he promises everything you need to do it with. So when he told us we're going to have this building, rest assured there's a couple things that come with that. First of all, it's because we need it. Do we need it right now? Of course not. Okay? but we need it, and that's why he's providing it. It's important to understand that he will bring the people to do the ministry in it to make it effective. That's important to understand. That's important to believe, to have faith in. When you, when you pray those extraordinary prayers, you have faith to back up those extraordinary Even if, even if it doesn't make sense. And guys, I'll tell you, we don't make sense. We just don't. And that's okay. Because they didn't in Acts either. They were persecuted in Acts. It would have been so much easier for them to disband and just trust God on their own. But they didn't. In fact, they made the biggest splash they could the very first day. That's what God did. He added 3,000 the first day. So don't think that God will not add what he needs to add when he needs to add it. Because he will. But see, there's something he has to do first. And don't think it's relying on just certain leaders in here to, well, as soon as our leaders get this, then we'll move forward. See, you're all leaders. If we were a church of a thousand people, now all of a sudden, we don't have only a few that are leaders like we do in here. You each become leaders. Why? Because God has been doing a work in your heart now for as long as you've been here. He's preparing your heart for a reason. He's preparing your heart with extraordinary faith for a reason. We just need to let him do it. And he is doing it. And we're so close to seeing activation of ministry that we've never experienced before. How excited would you feel? I mean, really, really. How excited would you feel if every week you came to church and we would have 20 to 30 people saved every week. As many people saved every week, new week upon week upon week. How would you feel if we had another 20 or 30 people come forward every Sunday to dedicate something in their life? They were already saved, but they wanted that intimacy with Jesus Christ. How would you feel? How would you feel if we were having 40, 50, 60 people coming forward every week? How would you feel if people came all over, from all over, because the power of the Holy Spirit was so strong, they just needed to be there? How would you feel? I don't know about you. I I would be elated. I, I would, uh, that is the dream. But do you know that's what God wants to do? But he's, he's got to prepare each one of us for this. Don't think that you're just a tag along here. I've told you before, if you're part of Ignition, I apologize. But God is calling you to leadership. He didn't call you to be a tag along here. No such thing. Not for our calling and what he's doing in this group. There's no such thing. So therefore you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to all the others. But you have a responsibility to your own fruits of the spirit. Your own joy. Your own love. You have a responsibility to let God do it. To let God bring you to a place of extraordinary faith, right? Let him do that. So, again, that was all about the announcement of Jeff. (laughs) But it it, it just all goes back to, I'm going to separate you guys, and we'll turn the cameras on you, okay? Don't make me do it. I'll do it. Um, So I'm just absolutely beyond thrilled (laughs) that we have Jeff and that any decision that we we make is a three three to zero vote and I want you to have the confidence that each one of those things comes from seeking God with our whole heart wanting his answer not our own not from some business plan but trusting in what God wants so So we've been talking about, and I, I know there was a gap there for a while because of Christmas and because of sickness and because of, of uh, funeral and because of I don't know, everything, it seems. But uh, we, we were talking about this, this idea of focus on why do we do this? What is paradise? What is the understanding of heaven And we started to talk about that for a few weeks. And then last week we talked about this extraordinary faith, trusting that God will do something, not just that he can do something, right? Well, we're going to continue on this vein today. And, and this, you know, the series that was titled What Happened in My Paradise is really all about our understanding of what eternity will be like. Now, why do I think that's important to understand that? Because, well, we know it's paradise. We know it's all going to be good and, and whatever. We just trust that. So problem is when you do that, when you don't know what paradise is going to be like, when you don't know what the thousand-year reign is going to be like, you have a different paradigm on this earth. You have a different understanding of God's plan for your life in this, on this earth, in this lifetime. So it's important to understand what is coming and the ramifications of what we do here have everything to do with that. That's what we've been talking about. If, if uh, you missed some of that, I would encourage you to go back to the podcasts in, in early December and listen to those. I think it's, uh, they're, they're all listed under the same What Happened in My Paradise. And this is, I believe, the fourth one or fifth one. But today we're, we're talking about the idea that, that this thousand-year reign is not as unfamiliar as you might think. We always think of heaven as this far-reaching, you know, really hard-to-understand, not-sure-what-it's-going-to-be-like place. And we talked about it a few weeks ago, saying, please understand, there are three eternities as I laid them out. The first eternity for the bride, for those who are, who are saved, the first eternity begins at the rapture. When Jesus comes and takes his bride, we meet him in the clouds. And then we spend time in what's called the third heaven, where the throne of God is. Okay, We spend the time up there while the earth goes through judgment for the sake of Israel. Okay, The world is judged. That's what we call the tribulation period and stuff like that. So so the time that we spend up in the third heaven is what I call the first eternity, Okay, for lack of a better classification. The second eternity begins when Jesus Christ, as a man, brings all of his saints and all of his armies down with him. We come down to this earth with him at the end of the tribulation period. And Jesus then wars and binds up Satan and all of his minions, casts them into the abyss. He is chained, Satan himself is chained into the abyss for a thousand years. Now you have what's called, or what I call, the second eternity phase. Okay, the second eternity That's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Now, what's that that all about? Why? What's this thousand-year reign? See, I don't know about you, but from my perspective all all my life, I kind of lumped it all together. You know, even though I knew the differences and stuff like that from studying it, I, I didn't really picture myself in those scenarios. Well, this thousand-year reign is important to understand because it is a physical reign of Jesus Christ. See, all the way back in the Word of God, it talks about how the, that the world will be ruled by God. Okay, but then you, you go through this scenario in the Old Testament predicting this Messiah that's going to come, die on the cross for going to where the Son of God becomes man. Right? And we all know the gospel where he became man, he lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins. Right, But it didn't end there. See, because there was a promise that a man, the Messiah, a sinless man, God himself would take the throne of David. See, David's throne is the throne of Israel. And there was promised an eternal king for Israel. So see, Jesus Christ has to come back and he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. Think of a thousand years. Okay, we think somebody who's a hundred years old is pretty old. Okay, imagine a thousand years older than anybody in the Bible. Methuselah, what was he? 966 or something like that? 65? 969. So this is a thousand years. Right? This is 31 more years than Methuselah reigned or lived. And we can't even fathom that. So he's going to reign physically for a thousand years. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2. And we're going to talk about this a little bit because I want to give you a picture of what it's going to look like. And I think what you're going to find is it is not as unfamiliar as you might think it is. Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 4. says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. It shall come to pass in the latter days. This is talking about the millennium, okay, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Okay, I want you to understand something going on here. First of all, when they're talking about mountains, they're talking about government. They're talking about governing a people, not talking about physical mountains. It's talking about a government. Okay, it's giving, and anytime you see mountains in the word of God, um, uh, that that is not a literal meaning it is a an understanding of the government of that mountain okay so let me read it again it, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain or government of the house of the lord shall be established as the highest of the governments okay we're talking about the thousand year reign and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. See, what's happening here is his government will be established to literally rule the world. You know, there's all this talk about a one-world government, right? And we want to stay away from that. Why? Because man can't do that so good. We fail at that because we're sinful flesh. But see, one day in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, that's exactly what will happen on this earth. This earth as we know it. This isn't after he creates a new heaven and a new earth. That happens after the millennium. So this is on this earth that we know right here, right now. Okay, so his government is established above all nations and all the nations flow to it. All the, all the nations take their, their authority from it. It is the authority over all the nations. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord or the government of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and out of the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, what's going to happen is he establishes his government in Jerusalem, in Israel. Please understand that the thousand year reign of Christ is about Israel. You think, okay, well then why are we there? What, ha- what happens to us? We're, you know, I'm not Jewish. The beauty of that is, Paul said, we're grafted in. Gentiles are grafted into this same plan, and we're going to see that as we go on. We have a role to play in this millennial reign of, of Jesus Christ. where all, Because remember, there are going to be people on the earth at that time. Okay, and I don't mean humans in their glorified bodies like we will be. I'm talking about humans that are on the earth, that survived the tribulation, or through the thousand years are born onto the earth. There will still be sin, because we are still sinful flesh. Okay, even though, well, I I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 4. He, being Jesus Christ, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. Just like Solomon did. Right? With God himself in the form of man leading the the government of the world in perfect wisdom. Think about that thought a second. That's a crazy thought. First of all, that one person could do that. Now, I know he's God. I get that. But you have to understand he is not operating just like he did when he was on the earth before. He never operated as God on the earth, although he received worship as God. But everything he did was of his father. Father. Everything He spoke was of His Father. Every glory He gave, every every miracle that was done was done, the Father working through Him and the Holy Spirit working through Him. It will be no different in the thousand-year reign. And that's actually where we come in. And we're going to get into that in a bit. And they shall beat their swords, and this is talking about the nations of the earth, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning, pruning hooks. Nation shall lift up sword, er, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Why is this? See, we don't have that today. If we had a one-world government, do you think we would have no war today? No, it's because when you look at a leader and you see the, the the selfishness in that mind frame for who they are and who they know, right? See, it's going to be different when Jesus Christ rules. When Jesus Christ rules, it will be like his attitude will be like it was when it was when he was on this earth. His attitude is love for us. <coughs> he loves you so much. He knows what's good for you and what's bad for you. Don't you think that will translate governmentally? Of course it will. Do you think he knows what's good for those people who don't even know him as Savior? I'm sure he does. Absolutely. Do you think he would know how to rule in such a way that would bring prosperity? That would bring joy, that would bring peace, that would bring love. Yeah. Now that coupled with the fact that you've taken the accuser out. The accuser is gone. For that whole thousand years, he's gone. Right? He, unfortunately, and this is how God laid it out, but he will be let go again for a time at the end of the thousand years. But understand that this thousand-year reign is the capstone of human existence, of the human race, right? Of this idea of being born in flesh. It's the end. I'm one of those that believe that God, you know, God loves the number seven. The number seven is, is the number for completion. I'm one that believes that the entire time of human history will result in 7,000 years. Okay, and we won't take time to do math to try and figure out when God's coming back and all that right now. (laughs) Trust me, I've spent hours doing that. But I believe that this 1,000-year reign of Christ is the finalization of human existence in this flesh. Why? Because there's still going to be people born. And, and you can imagine at the beginning of of the, the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's not going to be many people. Okay, what do we have on the earth right now? Seven billion people? Somewhere around there? Yeah, 7.4. Okay, so imagine seven billion people. Now it'll actually be probably less than that because the rapture is going to take at least me. <laughs> Just kidding. The rapture will take a number of people. so. But let, let's just use nice even figure of 7 billion. See, the tribulation period is going to wipe out so much life on this earth. In fact, it says over the seven-year period, really over three-and-a-half-year period, it will wipe out a third and then a third and then a third. Now, if you do the math on that, it basically leaves alive about 3.4% of the people. If you consider 7 billion people on this earth right now, and then you wiped out everybody on the earth, except what's in the United States. We have about 250 million people in the United States, I think. Somewhere. Somewhere. 350? Yeah, okay, I'm not counting the other 100. (laughs) I See, this is what happens when people know know stuff. Imagine, though, out of 7 billion people, what you have left after the tribulation is 250 million. Imagine that. See, that's what the millennium will start with. But see, there's a lot that goes on leading up to that. The power that Jesus Christ brings to this earth is not just that he comes and goes and sits on some some chair in Jerusalem and, and, you know, I'm now on the throne of David, listen to me. See, he comes in power this time. He comes with us. It says he will stand on the Mount of Olives and when he puts his foot down, there will be an earthquake that splits Jerusalem into thirds. Think about that. That's not metaphoric. That's real. Imagine the power that he is going to display when he comes. Imagine we're going to be coming with him, and we're not going to be hidden like the spirit world is now. Imagine people seeing what is coming out of the clouds. Not just Jesus Christ. Not just this shepherd on a white horse, this warrior. But literally millions upon millions of people with him and angels with him. Hosts of angels with him. Coming. Imagine the sight of that. Imagine the power of that. And then he comes and he establishes his government. And the Bible says he rules with a rod of iron. That's an actual interesting study if you want to take the time I won't take it this morning to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love. See, but he's still battling sin even though the accuser will be gone. Don't think there won't be sin in the thousand year reign of Christ. There will be. Because there's still sinful flesh being born onto the earth. Now, you and I won't sin. We'll be in our glorified bodies will already have been gone and taken up to be with Jesus Christ. When we get our glorified bodies, we're no longer in sinful flesh. We're no longer susceptible to, to what that sin does in a human being. But all those who make it through, those 250 million people or whatever who make it through the tribulation. And then those born into that time period, they are sinful flesh. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read a little bit more about this. Okay, and this this backs up some of what I just said. Verse 1, Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, and a great chain. I believe this to be Michael, but it doesn't say that. And he seized the dragon. He did this because he was told to do this. He seized the dragon, who is Satan, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. See, he can't deceive us. We will already have our glorified bodies. But for those who are born into this millennial period, he could deceive them. They are sinful flesh. So for that reason, he's been locked up, he's been sealed, and all of his minions with him. But until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. I don't want to sidetrack on that right now. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. So picture this. Remember the the six-point seven, five billion people that died in the tribulation, okay. many of those will be those that did not accept the mark of the beast. They did not accept Satan, the dragon, who said he was God. See, in the, in the tribulation, it's not about accepting Jesus Christ into your heart anymore. It is about simple acceptance... Of the mark of the beast or not. That is the belief in who he is. If you accept the mark of the beast, you will reside in hell. If, if you go through the tribulation and you accept the mark of the beast, you will reside in hell. Right? If you don't accept the mark of the beast, that is saying that he is not God. And, the, and I believe that in the tribulation, it will be such a clear choice it won't be a choice of, well, I have a palette of 50 things I could believe in. Like we, now we have millions of things we could believe in. In the tribulation, it's going to be very clear. You have God, and you have Satan who says he is God. You will see the judgment happening, or those who are in the, in the tribulation will see the judgment that's happening all over the world. But they will also see the provision happening for those who trust and believe God. See, there will be 144,000 Jews that are set aside to preach during that time. They'll be protected. I don't know how. That'll be really cool to watch. I'm hoping we have like video monitors when, when we're in heaven get to see how some of this plays out. They're going to be protected. They're going to spread the gospel throughout the world, so people are going to have a clear choice. Those who do not accept the mark of the beast and die, and even those that are beheaded for it, it says in there. What happens when Jesus Christ comes? They are resurrected. Okay, that's they're they're resurrected from the dead, and they are given glorified bodies, just like what you and I will have, right? And they will step into His millennial eternity, right at that time. But see, those who accepted the mark of the beast and died, they won't be resurrected, not at that time. They will be resurrected later in order to be judged at the great white throne judgment. But see, at that time, the Lord leaves them in death. So you have all of these that died during the, during the tribulation that accepted God, that believed in Jesus Christ. They're resurrected to be with the rest of us that come back in power. So imagine this going on. So there might be 250 people, right, that made it through the tribulation, And and then add the millions of people that were already in heaven from the course of history that had accepted the Messiah as Savior. So that's what you begin the millennium with. That's what you begin on this earth that has just gone through literal hell for three and a half years. You can imagine the work that's set before us. What we just read was there's going to be thrones. What that talks about is authorities. That doesn't just talk about judgment. It doesn't mean that every one of us is going to be placed in a, you know, well, you get this courtroom and you sit on the judge seat and just anything in your area will kind of bring to you and, and you judge. Okay, that's not, that's, it could be some of that, but that's not all of what it's talking about. It's talking about being placed in Places of authority to lead the people that are there at that time. But it's not just leading the people that are still human. It's leading positionally. Okay, like, let me, let me give you a, for instance. Let's say that, that uh, I get Colorado. There you go. Yeah, I'll just put my prayer in right now. Now, let, let's say that, that I am given a specific territory to have authority over in, in the millennial reign of Christ. Based on what I did here by, by faith, those are the rewards that we get. Rewards that we get are authorities placed on us for the millennial reign of Christ and beyond. Okay, so let's say I get this area. It's not that, okay, I just set up my judge seat and yeah, just bring me the problems and I'll say, yes, no, and I'll just kind of, whatever, no. No, I'm being given the authority to rebuild. I'm being given the authority to not just rebuild physically, but to rebuild under the government of Jesus Christ. See, I have been sanctified, given the mind of Christ, receiving my instructions from Christ, from Jerusalem, to have the authority to rebuild this area that has been devastated for the last three and a half years. Remember, a third of the earth is going to be destroyed by a single asteroid called Wormwood. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think you're going to have to rebuild Right Now maybe some people get areas that don't need that kind of rebuilding. I don't know, I'm a builder. I was a builder for years, I enjoy it, so awesome. God put me in a place where I could rebuild. But do you understand that, that the millennial reign of Christ isn't about us just floating around praising God and and in eternity of nothingness? Do you understand we're going to be put in positions... I want you to turn to Zechariah 14. Zechariah chapter 14. And we're just going to read a couple of verses here. Because this is going to be a very different world. It's going to be a very different existence. Verse 16 says this. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem—that this is this is through the tribulation—shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to keep the feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. That's that is one of the one of the feasts that Gentiles are invited to. Right, there are many that Gentiles are not. This is one that's going to be kept in the millennium. And it is going to be where everybody comes and does it. Verse 17, And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Okay, I'm not going to take time to look up some other passages, but I want to tell you that there are some other vast... Actually, no, let's, let's turn one more place. Isaiah chapter 11. We'll just read this, and then then I, I won't go any further. <clears throat> Off track. <coughs> Verses 6. We'll start 6 through 9. And this, again, is talking about this time period. Remember the enemy, the accuser, he, he's in the abyss. Verse 6 of Isaiah 11 says this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. If you can picture that, you've got all these carnivorous beasts. Well, I guess they're not all carnivorous. Some of them are the things that they eat. (laughs) Right? They're all together. You have the, the wolf and the lamb and the lion and the calf. They're all just kind of hanging out together and then you got a little kid in the middle of them just playing. That's crazy. Think about that. That's crazy. You ever want to go play with a lion? I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I thought, "Oh, I just want to go play with a lion." I don't know if anybody saw the video on Facebook about this little kid that this lion was on on the uh, there were actually two. One was scary. The the one I'm thinking of is good where it was like these two lionesses and this little kid that's in a little lion suit, and he's standing up to the, to the window, and these lions are just like, oh, we just want to get at him. Not, not in a bad way. They just, they were intrigued. Okay, imagine that little kid being able to actually do that without the glass in between. That the lions have no more desire to tear that little kid apart. That's what's going on here. Verse 7 The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Well, that's a hard one to imagine. Right? We'll all be vegetarians. That's about the only depressing thing that I could think of during the millennium. I don't know. Maybe God will come up with a plant that tastes like steak. I can only hope. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Crazy. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. An adder is a very, uh, it's, a, it's also a snake. A very poisonous snake. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters over the sea. See, this is going to be a very different world. Imagine being placed in a world like that and being given the responsibility of authority for an area. I don't know about you, that excites me. That excites me to be able to to build and rebuild something that had, had been destroyed and doing it in a way that is a perfect government. I mean, imagine that. Imagine a perfect government where, where every single decision is perfect. I, that, that's, that's not even really fathomable, right? But that's what's going to be happening. And, and see, we will be part of that. Based on what we do in faith on this earth, we will be part of that governmental system. Now, it's interesting because, and I'm still studying this, but there are some theologians that think that we will have, you know, God goes to prepare a place for us, right? That even right now he prepares that place. There are many theologians that believe that's the new Jerusalem that has not yet descended from the third heaven. That that And, and it doesn't descend until the end of the thousand-year reign and, and you know, battle of Armageddon. Once Satan is done, cast away, dead, whatever, that's when it descends to a new heaven and a new earth. But there are some that believe that this will remain, or, or, or in the thousand-year reign, that this, this new Jerusalem will actually descend almost like a moon, like you see the moon. By the way, the moon was huge a couple nights ago, right? It's like Huge. You know, can you imagine that's like the New Jerusalem and, and that's where we live? That's what some theologians believe. I, I, I don't quite buy into that myself because I believe we'll be here. But, but whichever way that, that you want to think about that, you know, I'm kind of thinking I'd like to be in Colorado, although I'm sure the New Jerusalem will have some mountains. But wherever we are, God is preparing a place for us. And as we reign on this earth with him for a thousand years, it is a labor of love. Have you ever had a job that you absolutely love and honestly you do it for free? I'd say probably one out of a hundred people have a job like that. That's, That's what building was for me. Oftentimes, I did do it for free. (laughs) Okay, it was a labor of love. It was what I I just loved it. I loved the creative process of it. Going to work was not going to work, it was joyful. See, that's what it's going to be in the millennium. We're going to be given positions that are joyful, that we want to do. Now, by the way, don't assume there won't be commerce. There's going to be commerce in the millennium as well. It's not going to be too unfamiliar than what we know of right now. We know there are going to be nations in the millennium, not just Israel. Because all the nations will flow or take their authority from Jerusalem, from Jesus Christ who reigns in Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem. We know that those nations and I won't get into some of the other scriptures we know the kings of those nations will come and pay homage to Jesus Christ. They will come and ask which we did read ask for him to teach them teach them how to be successful. Teach them how to have a good governmental system. See there's going to be commerce. There's going to be the same principles that God set up in the original is Hebrew government. We're going to see that. This is not like going off into la-la land heaven. This is earthly reign of Jesus Christ. There will be not just us who have been saved and have glorified bodies, but there will be people born onto this earth like you and I are right now. So don't think, I, I don't know about you, and I, I kind of feel bad saying this, but when I used to think of heaven, I used to think, man, that just sounds boring. You know, just kind of floating in nothing and just, oh, I don't know. That just sound boring to me. You know, I love to ski. I love to ride a skateboard. I love to go four-wheeling. I love to do stupid things. Right? Does that mean I have to give up all that stuff? See, it's not going to be as unfamiliar as you think it, it is. All of those things what what God is doing will be done on this earth. It's not going to be a recreated earth. He doesn't do that until after the thousand-year reign. It will be rebuilding the earth where much of it has been destroyed by the enemy now imagine how cool to be able to rebuild and have the finances to do it see it's gonna be beautiful we're going to be able to invest our time into something that we love that is worship do you know that's a part of your worship What God gives you to do in your life, the job that he gives you to do, if it's from him, whether you like it or not, by the way, it's part of your worship. That's why you pour everything you can into it, no matter what it is. If you don't like it, get another job. But it's important to understand that God gives us things to do that are part of our worship. It'll be part of our worship in the thousand year reign to, to have the jobs that we will have. And, and there, there's going to be commerce. That's why it said, if you don't adhere, what he's telling, telling the nations here, if you don't adhere to his governmental system and come and pay homage to Jesus Christ and come and learn from him what's going to happen, he won't send rain. Now, see, there's no more death. So there's no more cutting a cow up and eating a steak, Right? So what are you going to do if you can't grow crops? What if you, what are you going to do if you can't have your fruit trees bear fruit because there's no rain? Yes, there's going to be commerce. There's going to be the things, the ideas that we see now. Just imagine the things now but without sin. I can imagine going four-wheeling and not have to worry about getting killed. How cool would that be? Let's just go off this cliff Yeah, maybe not that. Don't want to ruin the Jeep. Yeah. It's not going to be that much different than what our understanding is of the workings of the world right now. Except it'll be perfect leadership. We will be part of that leadership. And what we're going to get into next week is what does that mean? Is that guaranteed for everybody? No. No. See, no, it's not. The, the millennium is, you know, heaven is, don't get me wrong. But your position in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is not some guaranteed thing. Well, we're we're not all guaranteed these high lofty thrones. See, the Bible talks about qualifications for that. You know, Revelation, Revelation 3, 25 says, To those who conquer... You know, we'll get into that a little bit next next week. What does it mean to qualify for those positions? And see, it's all about perspective. If you understand what's coming for that thousand-year reign and you know that that your opportunity to invest in that is right here on this Earth, it changes your your paradigm. It changes your perspective for what you do it becomes increasingly more important to understand that I give you my yes, God, no matter what. Why? Because I'm not judged, you know, me versus Jeff or me versus somebody else. I'm not judged according to other people. When we go before the Bema Seat of Christ, which is this reward ceremony of Christ, we're judged simply by one thing, our book. The book that was written before we were ever born. The book of what God intended for our life. How often we said yes to whatever he wanted. How often we let him do through us without putting up the walls, without putting up the stipulations. That's what it's going to be based on. We're going to get into that next week. But I want you to understand that what is coming in this thousand year reign is paradise. It's awesome. It's not losing the things that we love. It's enhancing the things that we love that are of God. And it's Instilling in us purpose and love for others, for those that will lead. So next week we'll get into some of the qualifications of that and, and what, what that means. But I can't wait. I can't wait. As a matter of fact, if it didn't depend on me being here and, and my life here, I'd say, Lord, just take me now. But see, I can't do that because I've got to give him my yes. Because he has purpose for me here. For as long as he keeps me here. He has purpose. And it's my responsibility to just say yes to that purpose. Whatever it is. And to not limit. This goes back to that original prayer of faith that Brooke prayed. Don't limit what God wants to do in your life. Don't limit. Just say yes. Jesus Christ simplified everything and he said, when you pray, just pray saying yes. I want your will on earth as it is in heaven. As you've written in my book, that's what I want, God. I, I don't even know what my book is, but I give you my yes. See, and so often that's going to be very different than what we know. On this earth. So just give him your yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, you are so amazing. What you have planned for us, what you have prepared for us, God, open our eyes to understand what is coming is your reign on earth. That's before we get into the final eternity. God, there's so much that you have for us in that thousand-year period. Help us to just give you our yes. Help us not to put limits on what we think you'll do through us on this earth. But Father, uh, my, my greatest request for Ignition Church, all of these people here today, All of those who are not with us because of sickness, and every, uh, all of us, Lord, my greatest request is that we all just give you our yes. That we want our book. We want Ignition's book. We want nothing else. Because we trust you. We trust that in that book is good. For us and not evil. Why? Because you promised it. I trust your judgment better than my own. So Father we just give you our yes this morning. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to give an opportunity for those. What I've been talking about this morning. There is a pre-qualification for all of this. And that is accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. Savior nobody looking around if you have never if you cannot think of a time in your life where you accepted and asked Jesus Christ to come and dwell in your heart would you raise your hand nobody's looking around I'm not going to embarrass you is there anyone here like that for everyone else for those who know Christ do you give him your yes Or do you fight the yes because of what it may cost you? Over these next couple weeks, I want you to understand that the cost for not doing it is much greater than you may think. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Um, Real quick, I want to mention some of the praise God for the perspective that He gave us on the life to come. But it may have brought out some questions in your mind. Um, One of them, I hope, was answered. You know, a lot of people ask, "Will there be animals in heaven? Will there be animals after this life? You know, will I see my animals again?" Well, I think it's interesting. You know, when we read about The example of a child being able to be with a wild animal and be safe, um, that ought to tell you that there are animals in heaven. And uh, I know Casey had an interesting um, prophecy where she, uh, she's with the kids right now, but um, where she, at the Firestorm Conference last year, where he spoke to her and even said that she would see her dog again, that she lost. And you know we don't always know where we can base those things in Scripture, but that's interesting that you know just to think that we'll have animals there, and even perhaps our animals. That uh, I know that that's controversial. Some people do not believe that at all. But if you have a question, um, I want to encourage you email or text or let Greg know this week if you have a question that you want to have addressed in some of this or if it opened up a whole new line of thinking for you. You know, in Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You have to pray and be receptive and ask the Lord to open your eyes to the things that that are being taught so that the Holy Spirit can... Give you, you know, it's exciting to have epiphanies about Scripture. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or if you've taken a bunch of Bible studies, sometimes we get really locked down in kind of what our lens of how God speaks, what what's done, what's not done, and just you you get really locked down in your paradigms. And you really have to ask God to say, Mm -hmm. "Look, I I want to pray against deception, but please open my eyes to see." What maybe I've never, ever seen before. And it's really exciting when you get to really see things in Scripture, see things about the afterlife, see things about what, what it all means here, you know, what, that you've never seen before. So um, I hope you'll claim that verse and then even send Greg a, a couple of questions this week because I think it'll be encouraging to you.